Section 9 of the American Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The American Egypt by Channing Arnold and Frederick J. Tabor Frost. Section 9 amid the palaces of the itzas part two during the succeeding centuries there is no record of any effort on the part of the spaniards to solve the mystery surrounding the well this is not at all surprising for from the first they took no kind of interest in questions affecting the indian past of the country and their innate avarice was not awakened by any well-founded suggestion that jewels and the precious metals had been cast as offerings into the cenote the mineral poverty of yucatan was so obvious as not to permit of such a belief gaining currency as is clear from the quotation given above from bishop landa there was another and a stronger reason why the pool should hold its secret fast this was the extraordinary mechanical difficulty of dredging operations as has been said the height from the brink of the cenote to the water level is seventy feet and the basin is a complete and precipitous circle all round there thus being no means of reaching the water except by some elaborate contrivance of a crane nature monsieur de siri charnay in eighteen eighty one provided himself in anticipation of his visit to chichen with two automatic sounding machines one of which was capable of bringing up half a cubic meter deposit owing however to the height of the cenote walls the depth of the water and the enormous detritus of centuries he could do nothing it has been reserved for our good friend mr edward thompson whose earnestness is only matched by his persistence and his contempt for difficulties to wrest from this ugly hole the full measure of its secrets some twelve months back he had set up an elaborate crane apparatus worked by hand winches which projecting considerably over the cenote and moving in a large half-circle supported a heavy iron dredger by means of this machinery dredging over the whole surface of the well bottom has been done to a considerable depth the water regarded still by the superstitious indians as fathomless is at present thirty feet deep but was probably deeper once the dredging operations have disclosed the bottom of the cenote to be an accumulation of earth and vegetable refuse into which mr thompson has been able to probe to the depth of over thirty feet these investigations have once and for all established the fact that the pool was the scene of countless human sacrifices the quantity of skulls and bones brought up by the dredger admits of no other explanation for it was urged as it may be that such finds point possibly to the cenote having been put to a sepulchral use the answer is provided by the character of the skulls and bones in a pool which was regarded in the light of a national valhalla 
the majority of the skeletons would almost certainly be those of men and men too of advanced age chiefs and war-worn tribal heroes but this is not the case with scarcely any exceptions the bones are those of the young we were privileged by the courtesy of mr thompson to see and handle many of the skulls and our examination of them satisfied us that they were one and all those of young females between twelve and sixteen years of age the disarticulated bones all exhibited a like immaturity and sex from these facts only one deduction is possible namely that sacrifices in the cenote did occur and that such sacrifices were of young girls who were hurled by the priests into the chasm possibly after defilement by the high priests in the small building at the pool's edge thus symbolizing the simultaneous surrender of virginity and life to the rain deity it is of course impossible to say for how many centuries before the spanish conquest this practice prevailed but allowing for the natural tendency of the bodies to entirely decay during anything like such a vast period as some writers would suggest is represented by the life of chichen as a city the quantity of skulls found in fair preservation seems to indicate a comparatively frequent repetition of this cruel rite probably many maids each dry season these grim mementos of the pagan past are not the only finds the cenote has yielded while the dredging has more than corroborated bishop landa's supposition that the mineral poverty of yucatan forbade the hope that countless ounces of gold and silver lay hidden in the pool's muddy bottom many archaeological treasures have been recovered there is much reason to believe that aided by these mr thompson will be able to give the world an absorbingly interesting reconstruction of pre-conquest life in chichen pieced together with that painstaking zeal which has distinguished all his previous work in other parts of yucatan to these finds we shall have reason later to refer more in detail but of one thing we would speak here an enormous quantity of lumps of copal a resin obtained from several small trees or shrubs of tropical america with compound dotted leaves known to botanists as the order of Bursaceae, have been dredged up this copal was used as incense in the mayan temples and it is certain that it was regarded as very precious for there is evidence that tributes to overlords were paid by vassal tribes in so much weight of this resinous gum there thus seems little doubt that part of the ritual at the cenote edge was the casting in of lumps of copal as offerings to the god and it is more than likely that this custom is referred to unconsciously by the spanish official reporting in fifteen seventy nine when he says that all the followers of that lord and the lord himself threw great stones into the water and with loud cries fled from the place the pieces of copal recovered are in some cases as large as a human head 
about one hundred and thirty yards to the southwest of the great pyramid is the building known as the tennis court running north to south are two immense parallel walls two hundred seventy four feet long thirty feet thick twenty five feet high and one hundred twenty feet apart at each end some thirty yards from the walls stand buildings roofless and wallless on the tennis court side that on the north still shows traces of elaborate carvings from floor to roof and on two pillars where was once a doorway are figure carvings the building to the south is not so richly decorated the clue to the purpose of this vast enclosure is given by a massive stone ring projecting from the eastern wall twenty feet from the ground a corresponding one on the west side has fallen and lies among the bushes we found its measurements to be three feet eleven inches in diameter eleven and a half inches thick and the diameter of the ring hole one foot seven inches the ring still in position is obviously of the same measurements it can be seen in the photograph reproduced on the flat surface and on its edges each ring is carved with two serpents intertwined these rings formed an essential part of a ball game which seems to have been common to the mayan peoples in yucatan and the aztec subjects of moctezuma in mexico the native name for this pastime was talashtli the spanish historian herrera in describing the amusements at the court of moctezuma has a detailed account of the game he writes we follow the translation adapted by j l stevens the king took much delight in seeing sport at ball which the spaniards have since prohibited because of the mischief that often happened at it and was by them called talashtli being like our tennis the ball was made of the gum of a tree that grows in hot countries which having holes made in it distills great white drops that soon harden and being worked and moulded together turn as black as pitch the balls made thereof though hard and heavy to the hand did bound and fly as well as our footballs there being no need to blow them nor did they use chases but vied to drive the adverse party that is to hit the wall the others were to make good or strike it over they struck it with any part of their body as it happened or they could most conveniently and sometimes he lost that touched it with any other part but his hip which was looked upon among them as the greatest dexterity and to this effect that the ball might rebound the better they fastened a piece of stiff leather on their hips they might strike it every time it rebounded which it would do several times one after another in so much that it looked as if it had been alive they played in parties so many on a side for a load of mantles or what the gamesters could afford at so many scores they also played for gold and feather work and sometimes played themselves away as has been said before the place where they played was a ground room long narrow 
but wider above than below and higher on the sides than at the ends and they kept it very well plastered and smooth both the walls and the floor on the side walls they fixed certain stones like those of a mill with the hole quite through the middle just as big as the ball and he that could strike it through won the game and in token of its being an extraordinary success which rarely happened he had a right to the cloaks of all the lookers-on by ancient custom and law amongst gamesters and it was very pleasant to see that as soon as ever the ball was in the hole the standers-by took to their heels running away with all their might to save their cloaks laughing and rejoicing others scouring after them to secure their cloaks for the winner who was obliged to offer some sacrifice to the idol of the tennis court and the stone through whose hole the ball had passed every tennis court was a temple having two idols the one of gaming and the other of the ball on a lucky day at midnight they performed certain ceremonies and enchantments on the two lower walls and on the midst of the floor singing certain songs or ballads after which a priest of the great temple went with some of their religious men to bless it he uttered some words threw the ball about the tennis court four times and then it was consecrated and might be played in but not before the owner of the tennis court who was always a lord never played without making some offering and performing certain ceremonies to the idol of gaming which shows how superstitious they were since they had such regard to their idols even in their diversions moctezuma carried the spaniards to this sport and was well pleased to see them play at it as also at cards and dice this account by herrera of the temples surrounding the playground would be as accurate if it purported to be a description of chichen instead of mexico the two roofless buildings which we found north and south of the court certainly suggested temples but the more elaborate confirmation of the religious element in this ball game is found at the southern end of the eastern wall where stands another building larger than either of those described this is called the temple of the tigers from a frieze design marvellously lifelike of jaguars always called tigers in yucatan pacing after one another the building is built to the same level as and indeed forms part of the wall of the tennis court its position with serpent column doorway facing the arena indicates that it too figured in the ceremonies of the ball game of the front room nothing remains but the two columns and the back wall out of which latter a doorway leads into an inner apartment here are the most remarkable mayan paintings so far discovered they cover or to be accurate they once covered for they are much mutilated the whole wall space the colors used are green red blue a reddish brown the color of the human skin in all mayan paintings and yellow the designs are coarse in outline the colors are faded the plaster is chipped 
but the humanity of it all holds you the method employed in these mural paintings was that of placing one layer of pigment over another thus a green shield with yellow bosses studding it was depicted by the shield being first painted entirely over with green discs of yellow chalky pigment being then placed on the green background this method which at the time of the actual painting obviously must have added to the glowing realistic effect has its grave disadvantages in the detaching of these superimposed layers of paint by crumbling during the passage of centuries thus much of the original skill of the design is forever lost to us but it is all very human life as it was lived loved and struggled for life with all its work and its play its lights and its shades the drama of life in those far-off indian days is here pictured for you the long-dead past lives again in that crumbling fresco by the magic of even that crude draughtsmanship you are transported back through the centuries into the living city close at hand you seem to hear the weird chanting of the priests to smell the resinous incense from the steaming plain below rise the sounds of hot life the grating of the stone rolling pin universal sound in every indian village on the matati or stone tray as the housewife crushes the maize the cries of playing children the barking of the house dogs the crowing of the cocks you seem to catch the echo of sharp words of command of the low long-drawn grunting cries of the toilers as they drag huge plinths up the newly banked sides of the pyramid while from the distant quarry comes the incessant tap 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 of nephrite chisels as the masons shape the vast blocks of limestone on the other wall the artist shows you warriors shields and flint-headed spears in hand in the full crash of battle while above them the women have come out upon the battlements of the city to watch the struggle truly is there nothing new under the sun to one's mind come those lines of matthew arnold men shall renew the battle on the plain to-morrow as it had been it shall be hector and ajax shall be there again helen shall come upon the walls to see scrambling down the broken wall to the ground level at the back of this painted room is another looking towards the pyramid the back wall all that remains is covered with figures of warriors carved so closely that it is hard to follow the design in the blaze of sunlight but there is one figure which demands attention in the centre of this bas-relief is the presentment of a man who is distinguished from those around by the fact that he wears a beard this is very curious and very important beards were never worn by the ancient mayan indians as indeed they are never worn to-day in fact physiologically the mayan cannot grow a beard or at least a beard of anything but the mangiest and most scrubby nature 
a fact which is evidence of that mongolian blood which he shares in common with the american indians of the north and south but beards are said to have been worn by the priestly caste attached to the worship of the mexican deity and culture hero quetzalcoatl this divinity it has been believed can be identified with the maya god itzamna and this belief certainly gains support from the appearance of this bearded figure on the sculpture of chichen the work of a beardless race in front where the doorway of this temple once stood are two square carved pillars not monolithic but built of slabs a foot or more thick but the topmost slabs have come away and lie on the ground between these pillars the back hollowed as if for a ceremonial seat is the much broken form of a tiger jaguar between this building and the pyramid are heaps of fallen stones and in the dense bush we find and photograph huge slabs of limestone three or four feet square and more than a foot thick upon which are carved quite brilliantly lifelike representations of a much bewhiskered jaguar and a parrot eating a nut of the mame tree among these littered stones are too many serpents heads and pieces of a curious frieze decorated with skulls and crossbones standing on the top of the castillo platform looking northeastward one sees shining white amid the trees the pillars of what is known as the temple of the tables so called in allusion to its chief feature a series of tables huge stone slabs supported on atlantean figures these latter are of extraordinary interest they have the square severe egyptian headdress and fillet and so closely resemble in features and general appearance the sphinx forms of egyptian mythology that one starts back in amazement on first seeing them one curious thing too is that a close examination shows an extraordinary diversity of feature whoever the sculptor was he was not content with producing a stereotyped face but actually aimed at and obtained a series which one might reasonably guess to be portraits but of these squat figures more when we come to our conclusions as to who the mayans were away to the north of the castillo but a few yards from the path which leads to the sacred cenote is a small ruin known as the temple of the cones because in front of it are perhaps a hundred small cone-shaped stones about two to three feet long looking for all the world like the ten-inch shells fired from modern artillery some writers have found a suggestion of phallic worship in this but the close inspection we made convinced us this is not the case to the east of the castillo in the dense woods are an extraordinary series of short columns the difficulty of explaining which has so far defeated all students hundreds of these columns now broken and scattered 
built as all the columns at chichen are of square slabs mortared on to each other appear to have stood in rows five or six abreast and some twelve feet apart each from each forming the sides of an immense square these columns would seem to have been finished by plain square capitals which lie about here and there the most reasonable suggestion offered in explanation of these groups of pillars none of which evidently exceeded six feet in height is that of monsieur charnay who was at chichen in eighteen eighty one he believed them to mark the site of the market-place of the ancient city and found in the columns the supports for that low colonnade which he pointed out was known to have bordered the market-places in mexico at the time of the conquest he quoted claviguero who wrote in mexico the judges of the commercial tribunal twelve in number held their court in the market buildings where they regulated prices and measures and settled disputes commissioners acting under their authority patrolled the market-place to prevent disorder the position of these strange columns at chichen in the very heart of the old city as they must have been within a hundred yards of the castillo certainly seemed to support monsieur charnay's guess and there is no difficulty in believing that the large arcade supported by rows of five columns abreast ran round the market-place to afford shelter from the sun to those who like the judges mentioned by claviguero had by reason of their duties to be there all day monsieur charnay however does not attempt to explain what has become of the roof of such arcade for there is no sign of it among the littered stones the explanation undoubtedly is that the roof would have been formed not of stone but of a framework of light beams thatched with palm leaves the thatch periodically renewed as is the case to-day with every indian hut for the thatching lasts little more than a year this roofing of the arcade would have of course long ago entirely rotted away in the woods to the southeast of the castillo are a series of ruins which while intrinsically interesting are perhaps of the most value in the discussion as to the actual age of chichen we shall refer to them in a later chapter and at present would content ourselves with saying that we believe them to represent an older chichen than that which flourished at the time of montejo's visit they consist of a series of mounds some thirty feet high crowned with now ruined buildings in their midst are two temples the first is very remarkable its roof has gone but the majestic carved pillars ten feet high which supported it are still for the most part in position here mr thompson recently unearthed a life-sized recumbent statue of the chakmul type to which a reference was made in our description of the museum at mexico city its head is half turned and its features and headdress are those of the atlantean statuettes 
a hollow in the body between the navel and ribs three inches wide by three quarters of an inch deep suggests a receptacle for incense burning the figure probably being altar and idol combined to the immediate south of this with the walls nearly adjoining is a second temple now roofless against its southern wall stand three carved pillars some ten feet high but the peculiar feature is a platform three feet high and five feet wide and twelve feet long on the north side which has all the appearance of an altar while a second feature which we saw nowhere else in yucatan was a terraced ledge at the eastern end about four feet wide running the full width of the building and approached in its northeast corner by a flight of five stone steps well laid still further to the south of these twin temples were two mounds parallel to each other about fifty yards apart owing to the dense growth of bush accurate measurements were difficult but each appeared to be between forty and fifty feet long twenty feet wide and twenty-five to thirty feet high excavations on the second one showed three small stone houses apparently communicating in the woods to the south of the castillo are a group of large and well-preserved ruins first the red house a literal translation of the indian name chichanchob in allusion to the extensive coloring of the inner walls the building which is forty-three feet long and twenty-three deep and has a richly ornamented cornice stands on a low mound sixty-two feet long and fifty odd wide approached by a stairway twenty feet wide it has three doors admitting to a room running the full length of the building and out of this again there are three doors to three inner rooms along the top of the wall of the front room runs a tablet covered with two lines of hieroglyphics they are much worn and we found it impossible to get a satisfactory mould of them the paints on the walls are still vivid but no pattern is traceable the only striking feature being that red hand which we found in far better preservation at a city we discovered some months later in the island of cozumel and of which we shall write later to the southeast of the chichanchob is a most puzzling building unique as far as yucatan is concerned the caracol or winding staircase stands on two rectangular stone-faced terraces reached by steps the lower terrace measures two hundred twenty feet north to south one hundred fifty feet east to west and is twenty feet high the masonry is very rough and may have been plastered at one end are the remains of four small pillars and around the building we found at intervals carved heads hollowed in the crowns to serve as incense burners the stairs are on the west side and are forty-five feet wide the broken remains we found suggested there had been serpent balustrades 
the second or upper terrace is sixty feet east to west eighty north to south and twelve feet high the steps being a continuation of the lower flight the building is a large squat turret of about forty feet diameter and about twenty-five in height upon this turret a smaller one now largely fallen stood the main turret consists of two concentric walls enclosing two annular rooms and a circular core or pillar the walls are some two feet thick there are four doorways facing the cardinal points of the compass in the outer and four facing the sub-cardinal points in the inner wall the core is about seven feet thick at the floor level and eight feet at ceiling the roof of each of these annular rooms ends in a very pointed arch facing the northeast door is a small opening in the core about four feet from the floor and measuring about twenty eight by twenty four inches j l stevens in eighteen forty two abandoned the attempt to explore these but we were luckier by a total disregard of our clothes and of the probability that the passage sheltered at least one rattlesnake we squirmed through and came out at the side of the topmost turret some ten feet from the top undoubtedly this was once a stairway for we could feel it was too dark to see the broken edges of the steps it is reasonable to surmise that this unique winding stair building was in the nature of an observatory though whether in connection with sun or star worship it is of course impossible to say to the south of the caracol stands a ruin of remarkable beauty and in wonderful preservation the spaniards called it la casa de las monjas nun's house and there is much reason to believe that this is a thoroughly appropriate title and that this building did actually house those virgins of noble birth of whose dedication to religious uses we shall have to speak at some length in a later chapter when reviewing the whole subject of mayan religion the peculiar feature of the building is the manner of erection apparently at first it stood on a solid foundation of masonry thirty feet high and of the same size as the building itself except to the north where there was a platform thirty feet wide at some period whether during erection or after completion it is impossible to tell the architect must have come to the conclusion that the building was top-heavy and decided to strengthen it by continuing the northern platform all round this new wall was not spliced and mortised into the other as one would expect a wall was built to the outer dimensions of the support only two feet thick and the space between this and the main building was filled up with rubble and loose building waste the abutment on the northern side down which thirty-four steps lead to ground level was built in the same manner giving it an unsubstantial lean-to appearance but we shall have more to say upon this mode of building when attempting to date these structures in a later chapter the buildings on the platform are two in number 
the larger is one hundred four feet long and thirty wide and contains seven rooms the largest on the south side measuring forty seven feet by nine feet wide its inner walls bearing traces of figure paintings from floor to roof the space on the northern side corresponding to this room has apparently been filled up the niches for the doorways exist but they are sealed to the lintel with masonry whether because sepulchral or to give support to the building above it is impossible to say on either side of this closed space are two smaller rooms and two more in corresponding places on the south side while at the east and west ends a room runs from north to south the lintels of the three sealed doorways both underneath and on the facings are covered with hieroglyphics as are also those of the doors on either side and the fact that none are found on the southern chamber suggests that the ceiling was for an important reason returning to the north side and climbing sixteen steps you reach the second platform on which stood a second house now merely a heap of stones it was one roomed with two doors looking north and south as we came down the steps we disturbed a huge iguana which darted up the face of the ruin and ran along its edge stopping motionless at the corner to peer over at us its grey dew-lapped head and hideous blinking eyes making it look like some animated gargoyle once more on the ground we turned towards the eastern annex of the nunnery containing five open and two closed rooms its facade has scarcely a parallel in central america the twining serpent frieze the elephant trunk the diamond pattern and other designs common in mayan ornamentation are lavishly used as can be seen from the illustration while in a central arched niche is a bust with a headdress of feathers over the door are twenty curious cartouches five in a row and over these are six ornaments like capital t's stuck into the building by their stems as we approach two or three asses startled from their grazing at the doorways clatter off into the stony woodland lizard and wild ass could better illustration than these desolate gaping palace chambers be found for omar khayyam's lines they say the lion and the lizard keep the courts where jamshid gloried and drank deep and baram the great hunter the wild ass stamps over his head but cannot break his sleep we sat a while amid the fallen blocks of masonry in what must have been the nunnery courtyard watching the swallows as they flew in and out of those time-worn doorways here and there amid the stunted wiry grass rose clumps of cactus and coarse thistle-like plants while over all climbed a large blue convolvulus its centre striped purple-red making nature's perfect harmony of colouring with a dainty butter-yellow 
foxglove shaped flower which filled the air with a subtle musky perfume huge butterflies of orange and sulphur of striped black and scarlet of black and white flitted among the blooms while over us blazed the sun in a sea of blue the rich blue of the eternal carib summer a few yards southeastward of us stood akadzib house of the mysterious writing eighteen-roomed and unique as being the only building in chichen not on a mound its facade a contrast to the palace is severely plain but the building has importance in the room looking south over the dark lintel of a doorway leading to an inner chamber are two rows of hieroglyphics the best preserved in chichen while on the ceiling of this doorway carved in relief and seated in front of what appears to be a basin of incense is a figure in full feather dress a right angle of glyphs running round to its left southward beyond the akad zib we could just see the greener patch of woodland which marks where lies the huge cenote whence the itzas drew their water supply approached by a winding path which runs to the water's level the broken sides of the chasm admit the sunlight and the blueness of the water and the golden green of the palm leaves make a true tropic picture and so the reader has wandered with us round two square miles of woodland and glanced at the wonders of a city which in the days of its greatness numbered its citizens by scores of thousands a city which architecturally though possibly not culturally remains the greatest monument of central american civilization end of section nine recording by shenna sir fresno california